0: If you ever see me up here uh, chuckling or have a smile on my face, um, well, let's just say that uh, one time someone asked, you know, Father, why were you uh, laughing during Mass? And I said, if you see the things that I see during Mass, you would be laughing too. So it's either that or I made a mistake. So one of those two, but that actually has nothing to do with my homily. So now we'll begin the homily. I know that I have told my conversion story many times, uh, but in the summer of 1997, I was interning at IBM in Rochester, Minnesota. There was a young woman who was very attractive and a fundamentalist Christian, we'll call her Kelly. Well, that's because that's her name. Because of her, I reached a point where I knew that Jesus was my savior, but I didn't know if I should belong to the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, or who else uh, had the most truth. And it matter to me which church I belonged to, because I wanted to be belong to the Church of the most truth. If the church, truth was in Church B and I belonged to Church A, then I needed to change to Church A. This uh, decision, this unknowing, hurt so much that I physically hurt from the unknowing, from the decision. But I knew that Jesus was my savior, so I couldn't give up. I knew that this was the most important decision of my life so I kept at it. I kept searching. After talking to Kelly, I almost called home to my parents to tell them I didn't want to be Catholic anymore. I didn't. Instead, I started reading Scott Hahn, Jeff Cavins, and many other Catholic apologists, defenders of the Catholic faith. After three months of intensive study, I could say I was Catholic not just because I was raised in the Catholic Church, but because I was convinced that the Catholic Church And only the Catholic Church had the fullness of truth. Which denomination you belong to matters. So in my college years, I pursued truth. The truth of Jesus Christ with abandon. Shortly after this time, I was not very respectful to one of my elders. I was talking to someone older than me. And I was talking um, to them. And they were Lutheran. And I asked them, you know, why are you Lutheran? The first thing that came out of their mouth was that it was because their parents were and they were going to add something else but i caught them rudely cut them off and said that was a dumb first reason i told them that someone their age should have a better first reason than just because their parents were now obviously with that last story i'm not trying to paint myself as a saint but i too have gotten complacent Sometimes I miss the vigor, the drive that I had in pursuing the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, that I had 22 years ago. Actually, that'd be 25 years ago, but anyways. Today, people pursue with abandon money, fame, popularity, pleasure, food, physical health, so much so that they will metaphorically run over people just to achieve their goals. The time of Amos, our first reading author, was no different. Amos lived in a dark time. In Amos' day, people were taking advantage of the needy and poor. They were cheating people out of food and money. They were fixing the scales for cheating. They were even buying and selling the poor. They were selling even the refuse of the wheat. People of Amos' time were pursuing wealth and food by cheating the poor and needy. God through Amos promises that he will not forget a single thing they have done. There will be consequences. In the gospel at first glance it appears that Jesus is praising dishonesty. I can tell you this is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is driving home a point about effort and desire. In the parable of the dishonest steward, a rich man has a steward who is squandering the rich man's property. The rich man finds out the steward's dishonesty. So the rich man tells the steward to be prepared to give a full account of his stewardship. And that the rich man is going to fire him. The steward loved his comfortable lifestyle. Once he was fired from his job, how was he going to keep up his standard of living? He says to himself, what shall I do now that my master is taking the position of steward away from me? I am not strong enough today, and I am ashamed to beg. Because the steward values his wealthy lifestyle so much, he devises a high-risk, a high-reward plan. The steward calls and meets with all the master's debtors one by one. To every single one of them, he gives them a massive discount on what they owe to, their ma- to his master. In the parable, Jesus says the master commended the dishonest steward. Why? Because the master recognized what a stroke of genius the dishonest steward's plan was. The steward's desire to maintain his lifestyle, his wealthy living, drives him to devise a plan where others owe him a favor. By giving his master's debtors a discount, they now owe him, the steward back. When the dishonest sewer, once the dishonest steward is fired, he can call in his favors. It took a lot of time and effort to execute this plan. The dishonest steward had to come up with a plan, take the time to meet with all the master's debtors and negotiate with them. The steward used his master's material wealth to guarantee his own continued material wealth even after he was fired. We as followers of Christ know that material wealth is not a goal in and of itself. We know that material wealth and goods should be at the service of building up the kingdom of God. Those who do not follow Christ are shrewd and cunning in using material wealth to obtain more material wealth, which does not last. How much more shrewd and cunning should we who do follow Christ be in using material wealth to build up eternal things, so that we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings, so that we may be welcomed into heaven. In the eyes of the world, material things are great things and eternal things are small things. But the reality is the opposite. Material things are the small things and eternal things are the great things. In our scheming, our planning, our priorities, our time, our efforts, are they directed mainly at things of this world or are they directed mainly at eternal things? Jesus says we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve both God and mammon. In the fall of 1997, 25 years ago, I saw the truth with reckless abandon, probably to the slight detriment of my grades. The fall of 1997, I was laser-focused on Christ and the truth. I was laser-focused on eternal things. I had, I had a huge desire to come to know the truth as St. Paul puts in his first letter to Timothy, our second reading. Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and human beings. Jesus ransomed himself for all of us. Do we respond to this act of love? It is through our faith and relationship with Jesus that we are saved. So St. Paul says that we should pray. We should pray to ask God to reveal how he wants us to put the material things in our lives, the service of eternal things. I see this all the time. And Some of the bigger things I suppose we have now have things like Lighthouse Media. We have the Augustine Institute We have Ascension Press We have our own Bishop Aaron and his Word on Fire Ministry There are now priests with blogs and podcasts People are putting the things of the world at the service of the kingdom of God Someone even took the model of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon to form Courage and Encourage And these are to help people with same sex attraction live out a holy and chaste life, and also to help out those who have loved ones with same sex attraction. Amos and Jesus remind us that material wealth should not be a goal unto itself. He who dies with the most money doesn't win. The one who dies with the love of Christ and his or her neighbor wins. We must pray that the Holy Spirit continues to inspire and drive us to use material things for the building up of the kingdom of God.